You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I'm Mike Sazza. Welcoming in Chris Anderson. During an open week here, no preview episode for us this week, Chris. No opponent that could target West Virginia secondary, could get run over by C.J. Donaldson or Justin Johnson. That'll come next week early on when we preview West Virginia's kind of important home game on a Thursday night against Baylor. In between, we're going to kind of do a little bit of a pulse check here. I don't want to say temperature check because the word temperature has uh, connotations to where one member of the staff happens to sit. Don't want to do that. Although we probably should begin there, Chris, with Neil Brown, because I can try to dance around the topic. There's probably no use doing it. This is a hot seat time for him right now. Let's go to your neck of the woods in recruiting. Is that okay? That's fine. How much does the noise affect the day-to-day for Brown, his assistants, their recruiting apparatus, especially now where they could go away on a Friday and a Saturday to check in on some people, walk some hallways, check with some guidance counselors, go to a junior college. They have a little bit of time because of the open week. They don't have to have a full staff on campus. They are going to practice on campus because their week next week is shortened by the Thursday game. My point being, they have a chance to go out and recruiting and I guess would be interested in damage control right now. The thing with recruiting and what's going on this season, the wins and losses and the impact on the players is minimal. Like, uh, of course, recruits want to see a team go ten and two. They want to see conference championships. They want to, you know, see that the program can be successful. But even if they're not, you can still sell the idea that they are the ones that are going to make it happen. That all the other pieces are in place, and they're the ones that can help get them over that hump. That they're this close, and they can help them get there. So sitting at two and three right now. That's not that's nothing that's going to, you know, bother many of the recruits that are in this class like at all. The damage control is going to be centered around Neil Brown's future because that is that is what is going to, you know, catch the attention of recruits, especially guys who are already committed. And you, you always hear recruits, you hear them say the right things of I committed to a school, not a coach. I committed to a school, not a coach. It's not true. Like 90% of the time, it's not. It, it, you can't You can't at the same time say you're committing to a school and then also say relationships are the most important thing to you in picking a school. That the fa- Getting a family feel is the most important thing when you're picking a school. Can't have it both ways. And, and so it to tell the truth is that they are committing to partly the school, but also because they're building the relationships with the assistant coaches on the staff, with the recruiting coordinators, the directors of scouting, 
all those people that work in the recruiting department and the head coach as well. So if they are starting to hear that Neil Brown's on his way out, that means the whole staff's on their way out, all this stuff, that's where you have to do damage control. You have to come in. You know, you're going to be pleading with them. Hey, don't listen to all that stuff. Look, I still got a job. I still got three years left on my deal, four years left on my deal. Um, and, and we're going to turn this ship around like nothing's going to happen. And whether that's true or not, that's up for the recruit to believe and for the coach to prove. But that that's what they have to get out there and talk to recruits about, because the wins and the losses not going to be a major factor. But Neil Brown's future, that's going to be a big one. Let's stick with that then for a second. I've written some some thoughts of well, not mine. In fact, this has been kind of completed. These are not thoughts of mine. These are thoughts that have been shared with me by people who I seek out in times like this. Call them whatever you want. They are um, in the middle. They're on the periphery. They're sources. But the the feeling is they do not want to fire Neil Brown in the middle of the season in that there's still seven games to play. That could be good. That could be bad. But that's going to have the answer. And as we've been over before, there's no financial game by making a decision now that wouldn't be there at the end. You're still paying him no matter what. He's due the money that his contract promises him. He's due X dollars today, and in five weeks from now, he's due X dollars minus five weeks. That's just how it works. It's a paraded contract. So there's there's no magic number with the buyout. And it looks weird to fire a coach in the middle of the season. Except, Chris, that's happening a lot. There are some Power 5 openings right now, and we're in the fifth week of the season. Coaches haven't fired because they haven't lived up to preseason expectations, to you better get this right demands from the athletic director. And it's proud programs, too, Wisconsin, Nebraska. It's meddling programs like Colorado that just kind of seems like it's stuck in a conference that doesn't necessarily belong and it hasn't had much of an identity for a while, which may sound familiar to some people listening to this podcast. Does that put pressure? Should that put pressure on decision makers when other people are doing it? It may not necessarily be good for you, but certainly not everybody is wrong. I don't know if it should, but I think it does. Because in part, it eh, some people aren't going to like to hear this, but again, it, it depends on who is doing the firing. Is West Virginia going to be pulling from the same pool of candidates as say, you know, Alabama or Georgia, if they were making a coaching change or Florida, you know, one of the, one of the blue blood programs, if they were making a coaching change. No, I, I was about to put Nebraska in there, but I, I just don't know if Nebraska is in that same level anymore. So are you really rushing to, you know, try to jump into that pool to find a new candidate to compete with Nebraska? Don't know about that. Colorado, I don't think so. But the Wisconsin one is interesting. I think Wisconsin might still end up with you know different candidates, like Big Ten ties. Maybe they go that route. They like to try to stick with guys that they know from areas that they know. But Wisconsin, in my eyes, and I think in a lot of people's eyes, and maybe even in a lot of coaching candidates' eyes, is in the same realm as West Virginia as a football program. Do you think that's reasonable? Very. In fact, when they were doing studies moving to the Big 12, they tried to find, quote-unquote, like 
peer institutions that mm-hmm. they comp to, that was one. So I think when you have Wisconsin, who just fired Paul Christ, um, was it a 700 winning percentage, by the way? Uh, went nine and four just last year. When they fired him, now all of a sudden you have a team that I think you can safely say would be swimming in the same pool as you looking for candidates. And I don't believe it should have an impact on your decision, but I think it might. I don't, I, I don't, you know, I'm not saying uh, Chris is out, Wisconsin's open, so that means, you know, West Virginia is going to make a move on Neil Brown. No, but you, you start getting more teams in this, in this realm, in this level of schools looking for new coaching candidates that puts more and more pressure on you to make sure that you're making a decision, the right decision, whether that's to keep Neil Brown or to fire him and look for something else. Because, yeah, you know, if Florida or Alabama, you know, if Nick Saban retires, like, are you worried about who Alabama might take? No, of course not. Like that kind of stuff. But Wisconsin, say, I mean, Virginia Tech just got a new coach, so they're not going to do it. But that that kind of level of college football program, the teams that are good for a long time with the potential to be great, I don't know if you want to be, you know, given four or five, six teams a head start if you really think that you need a new head coach. Here's another variable to consider. Uh, Nebraska and Wisconsin are looking at interim coaches mm-hmm. who, who have a chance at that job. Mickey Joseph at Nebraska. He used to play for Nebraska, has been a pretty successful coach at a variety of levels for a long time, um, but kind of made his name. LSU a couple years ago and then ends up in Nebraska and, and very well liked there. And then Jim Leonard, obviously at Wisconsin is a big time name in Wisconsin football. I think a lot of people think he's a future head coach. So you give these guys a bit of a runway to say, listen, can they pull this out of the fire and, and make us a better program and make us a popular hire? Because you'd like to do that if you can. And now you give them a chance. That's a major incentive there, but Wisconsin and Nebraska are not going to have a hard time getting candidates. If you are Colorado, Arizona state, and who was the other one? There's five open right now, right? Nebraska, Colorado, Arizona Georgia State, Tech. Georgia Tech, yeah. Yeah, that's a little bit different. They don't have an interim guy there, but could they be going after somebody that's available now? And that would be like a TV guy or a, or a semi-retired coach, whatever, because you're not going to be allowed to talk to coordinators or head coaches at other schools right now. So that's, that's there's different reasons for that. Would West Virginia be trying to give, for example, Jordan Leslie or Graham Harrell an audition? I don't think so. Um, And then are they going to go out and get somebody that is being competed for with Georgia Tech, Arizona State, and Colorado? Probably not there, too. So there's just not a lot of incentive in this. And I think above all else, people want to see Neil Brown succeed as evident by that contract extension. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to them to pull the trigger right now. Can I circle it back to recruiting real quick? Do it. I think, um, I mean, hmm. I was about to say, you know, the longer it lingers on, I think as far as recruiting goes, and let me be clear, because I feel like this needs to be said. I mean, I know I talk about recruiting a lot because that's that's where I, you know, got my start with all the recruiting stuff. On the grand scheme, in the grand scheme of things, where does recruiting rank as far as like making a coaching change, like when you should make it? You know, I, I do believe recruiting is extremely important. Um, cause I'm, I'm a Jimmy's and Joe's more than X's and O's kind of guy. But as far as whether to hire a fire, a coach, keeping a recruiting class together, 
is right dang on near the bottom of the totem pole here. Okay, so let's be clear on that. Um, that being said, I just with the recruiting, I think the worst possible thing is stringing it along and then making a decision at the end of the year, stringing it along and you know and firing in December, because then you have no time. Whoever the new coach is, you got no time to make up, or you're going to be, you better be one heck of a transfer portal recruiter if that's the case, because obviously, you know, early signing day, that third Wednesday in December, uh, and then you got what, one more month before February when most of the kids are already signed. So you're really, you know, dabbling in a pretty shallow pool at that point. So recruiting would get hurt by the extended lingering decision no decision unsure and then firing at the end of the year but like about seven other things that are more important than keeping one recruiting class together so just yep just throwing it out there well november 26 is the date of the oklahoma state game so black monday so to speak would be the 28th mm-hmm. that's about a two and a half week runway for signing day yeah good work um Again, I just don't think they're going to pull the trigger unless this thing falls apart. Like if they're two and nine going into their final game, you're not talking yourself into a three and nine coach over a two and ten coach. You might see something like that happen. Um, I would say this too: if if they if they get road killed at home, so maybe road kill isn't the right word, but they get run over by Baylor, which is a very physical team that's going to cause them matchup problems. If that happens on a Thursday night at home on a nationally televised game, they go out to Lubbock and Brown falls to zero and four against Texas Tech. I think the music is going to be pretty loud at that point. And really at that point you're talking about being two and five. Can you, yeah, as I say, you said two and nine, I don't think it gets to that point, but that's, yeah. I mean, yeah, so like, I, I know there's no desire to make changes in the middle of the year, but yeah, two and five is going to be a an O and four in big 12 play. I mean, sitting squarely in last place in the big 12 for sure yeah. at that point. So, Let's talk about this weekend because there is some significance with the schedule, I think. Right now, there are a couple of 0-2 teams in Big 12 play. There are Oklahoma and Iowa State. In the past few years, they've been as good as it gets in the Big 12. Um, it's possible that West Virginia wakes up alone in last place because Baylor, excuse me, Texas plays Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. Oklahoma gets their act together and wins a rivalry game against Texas. That just kind of had its way with West Virginia. That's not going to be especially good. And then Iowa State plays Kansas State. If Iowa State beats a ranked Kansas State team, that it, it seems like it does have its act together on offense, and the defense may be as good as advertised or better than it's one bad day in the sun. And all of a sudden, it's very different. You have some one and two teams in an o, in an zero and two team at West Virginia that's looking to be in an underdog in I don't know, Chris, every game the rest of the way. Yeah, I think so. And that's the situation. Like here's a team with more than half a season to go that's not going to be expected to win again. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, hold on. Uh, you got me thinking here. All right. So I don't think they will, be a fa- they will not be a favorite on the road at Texas Tech, at Iowa State, or at Oklahoma State. I think we can be in agreement on that. Yes? Correct. Okay, so then you got your home games. Baylor? Next week, probably not. I mean, and then you got TCU, who everybody's sky high on right now. And then Oklahoma. And then Kansas State, who's top 20 and everybody's high on right now. Yeah. they. I, Iowa State is the one that I could see them being favored against. Yeah, if Iowa State falls apart, that's like, you know, loses a couple games over the next couple weeks and is sitting at... Wait, they're 0-2 and, and say ends up being a battle of winless Big 12 teams, maybe. Or West Virginia sneaks a win or two before then, and Iowa State doesn't. Man, yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's oof. what Matt Wells was hoping for at the beginning of the season when it came to ticket sales, right? Let's get Iowa State West Virginia battle of defeated, uh, no win Big 12 teams. That'll be fun for the November home games. Good. Uh, yeah. Let's just oof. go perceptions here. Last place team, easy to say right now. Um, reality is they got beat pretty bad against Texas. Perception is they maybe weren't that far from wins against Kansas and, and Pitt. Um, perception is you win a rivalry game against Tech after losing one against Pitt. Uh, reality is that maybe another one of those teams is especially good. Um, perception is Kansas stinks. Reality is that's a 5-0 and team that is probably going to be bowl eligible before too long. Uh, personally, I think they're going to have their hands full tomorrow, but that's just me. Um so my point is that you just can't look at the record and schedule and, and draw conclusions. And Lord knows that you and I were probably feeling pretty good about this team after the pit game. And things change. Uh, we didn't see Kansas coming, for example. I don't know how many people did. Um, and then also just very surprised by it looked like an intimidation or, or a lack of confidence against Texas, a team they beat last year, but just didn't feel quite the same on the road. Where is the needle right now for this program? Is it in the middle? Is it more toward E? Is it more toward F? Um and then how do you base a decision like that based on all the variables that is presented? I was about to say, I was like, but my thought, if you had asked me this before we had just broke it down about 30 seconds ago, I would have said West Virginia is not as bad as, as it may seem. They're not the worst team in the big 12. Maybe they're kind of lower second half, but seventh, eighth, whatever. But now you're looking at it again. They literally will be, underdogs against every team and maybe depending on how things break down like touchdown or worse underdogs against most of the games remaining on the schedule and uh, you know whatever the line is that that's not what's important it's actually what happens on the scoreboard of course but that you're asking perception that's the perception you know what what they make those lines at is is how the general public perceives it how vegas perceives it and if West Virginia is considered an underdog in what would that be? 10 of their 12 games? No, well, they were favorites against Kansas. So nine of their 12 games. Let's, let's make it nine out of 11. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because of Towson. Um, that's 
That's not great. Remember what I said before the season when we were talking offense and I said, as far as recruiting goes, and again, you're asking big picture. I'm kind of going a little more micro with, with recruiting, but I made a comment about the offense. And I was like, if they can't figure out this offense with JT Daniels, a quarterback and Graham Harrell, an offensive coordinator, that is going to put a stigma on Neil Brown and maybe even West Virginia as a whole, at least on the recruiting trail that offensive players will not succeed at West Virginia. And I said that because it has worked the other way for so long that Dana and Rich Rod, you know, from 2005 to say 2000, I mean, all the way up through 2018, to be honest, uh, the offense more or less every single year was amazing. Uh, I think with one notable exception uh, there in the middle, but that kind of just put it, even though West Virginia has not had a good offense in three years, recruits were still talking about Tavon. They were still talking about Gino. They were still talking about this amazing offense that West Virginia had. And, and it's going to, if you do something long enough, it kind of sticks with you for a while and, and you can ride it out. And if West, I was worried about the West Virginia's offense, seems like the offense can be fine and it won't get that stigma necessarily, but being at the bottom of the Big 12 two years in a row, not maybe not two years in a row. They weren't last last year, but pretty far down the totem pole the last couple of years. Bottom half of the Big 12 every single year so far under Neil Brown. It's not a stigma, but it's just that's how you're viewed. You ask perception. That's the perception. And it's going to be and it's a perception for a reason. It's because West Virginia has been in the bottom half of the Big 12 for what would they all be four years in a row. And ultimately, that's what you're going to be graded on whether it's yeah. by recruits or fans or opponents or media or whatever too it really is about wins it's it's i think another thing that has to be mentioned is if you look around the country or even the big 12 in particular coaches have come in and succeeded quicker in worse situations and, and they've made changes to do things so like for example if you want to parallel baylor and west virginia is that a perfect comparison no but Baylor was in a tough spot for reasons we don't need to get into. Um, had a coach come in, turn around, do some good things, and then, and then left for the NFL. And Dave Aranda did not have an ideal situation. He tried some things that didn't work. He really reinvented his program before the 21 season, won the Big 12. Brown maybe didn't inherit the best situation either. And he kicked the can down the road for a little bit. And he did make some changes this offseason. Did he go wholesale changes like Baylor did where you kind of went from an air raid to something very different with what they're doing, the uh, reliable, violent offense, as they call it over there. No, but like he got a guy in, he removed himself. He got a really good play caller, a highly regarded offensive player. And to your point, didn't work. Is that an individual thing or is that a systematic thing? I don't know. But the question lingers and that's what people are going to ask and want an answer to. And they're going to supply their own answers to in the absence of answers from others. But also, it's harder at Kansas, and look at what Lance Leifold does. And he may have a job waiting for him at Wisconsin right now. Um, it's harder um, maybe at Kansas State than is at West Virginia. That's probably a parallel situation, too. That's a job that Brown interviewed for, and he liked the culture there. And you would argue that Kansas State has been better and done more, even though that West Virginia has had success against them. I think Sonny Dykes at TCU was kind of a turnkey situation, but that was a program that was like, wait a minute, why can't we score points? We have all this talent. What are they doing? They got out of the defensive shadow of their head coach. They got an offensive guy in there, and they're scoring points, and they're beating teams like Oklahoma right now. Just a strange thing that you look around and you're saying this isn't working when it does work other way, other places, but also look at Oklahoma right now. 
again, perfect comparison? No, but it's not perfect for everybody, too. And I think that's a hard thing for people to you know, understand. And as I was listening to Brown talk on Tuesday, if you go back and listen to this, he's talking about college football in general. He says that, like, there's an elite tier. Not a lot of people there. And then there's, like, 30 to 50 schools after that that they got a chance. And I think that, like, sometimes people have to come to grips about being part of that 30 or 50 that are never going to be on that top shelf. And just gotta gotta be patient, hope for their year to strike. And like, look how long Kansas waited. Is Kansas gonna get it done this year? Unlikely, but they're working on something. And they may have the rug yanked from underneath them too if they lose their coach to Wisconsin. And there's a connection there, so that may happen, right? So like, it's it's a very fickle situation. But like, I guess my point is here is that these questions can't linger forever because your your time in the sun is so fleeting. And I think West Virginia knows that as well as anybody else. Maybe makes this a more urgent situation than perhaps people like you and I, Chris, are. are are giving credence to right now too but it goes back to this you you answer questions not with words as much as letters and those letters are w and l mike i'd like to propose a three-ray trade okay we'll just we'll make it easy on everybody lance leipold to wisconsin mm-hmm. paul christ back to west virginia where he started his coaching career mm-hmm. i did not I, how did i not know this feel bad not knowing that he was a GA for his very first gig in coaching. Yeah. Um, well, the Paul Chris trivia is a hard corner to handle. <laughs> and then Neil Brown over to Kansas. Just swap them all around. Be good to go. He liked Kansas once. Why not again? There you go. Where does Jim Leonard factor in? <laughs> where, does he, where does Hugh freeze and how many times has West Virginia spoken with him and his agent fall? That's what I really want to know. Or the search firm that West Virginia hired after an 0-2 start. You mean that one? Okay. Can I tell uh, you about you? Go. I just heard about this name. It has nothing to do with locally, but this is something that a person who I really respect thought this is one of the best hires in a long time. Brett Bielema. Hmm. Illinois. I'm not saying you bring him to West Virginia, no, but that's a guy that went to Illinois. People thought you couldn't win there. Um and he didn't look great, but he's got that going right now in a good direction. Two things. One, is that a model people can copy? Get a guy who just knows your division or knows your conference and has a way to win in your region of the country. And number two, is he the next coach at Wisconsin? Oh, boy. My, are, we, are we trying to reach a new demographic up in Madison? Are we is starting the Kickstarter for the, for the people who want Lance Leipold out of town in the Big 12? <laughs> it... I do have something to add to this that that is related to that because I I was reading something earlier. Uh, what are these? Everybody's over here at the Athletic, right? I want to give due credit where it's due. Yeah, Athletic. Um, Nicole Auerbach and and a couple other people. This one's from Roger Sherman talking about how coaches in the industry or, or colleges in the industry are just not hiring coaches outside of this small bubble of people with Power Five experience, maybe some Group of Five head coaches. And they discussed going outside of that realm because I don't know if you recall, but I wrote that story a couple weeks ago. Somebody asked me about success of group of five head coaches compared to power five coordinators when they move up. It wasn't a perfect analysis. There's a lot more that goes into it, like in particular where the program started. But the answer was neither. <laughs> the, the, your best solution is to just be Ohio State. And and always be good or something similar to that. 
But a note from Roger Sherman here. Some coaches who are thriving this year. Lance Leipold, six-time Division III champion. Chris Kleiman, four-time FCS champion. Kalen DeBoer at Washington, three-time NAIA. Mm -hmm. Willie Fritz, two-time National JUCO champion. Talking about hiring people outside of this realm, outside of this bubble, and and just finding winners at whatever level they might be. Um, I know this is a little bit of a tangent here, but your thoughts on that? Like, that seems, I mean, (laughs) hey, hire somebody that wins. If you want to win, hire somebody that wins. I know that doesn't seem that crazy, but is it crazy? No, I mean, honestly, like, your staff is the most important thing when you hire a head coach. I really think that like like you look at all these things about hot lists for for jobs and I kind of like roll my eyes at them a little bit if one of the one of the descriptions of that candidate is not his capacity to hire a holy cow staff because m- more and more you're seeing coaches kind of back away from being offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators there are exceptions and they're 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 special coaches don't get me wrong not everybody's special and you're hiring someone to be the CEO of a major, major program. You're not getting him down there to stuff the shoes in the box at Nike, right? You're getting him to make sure Nike works. So if you got a guy who knows how to win because he's got X's and O's and all that stuff, but also he knows how to run a program, I think that's extremely valuable. Now, the trouble is, can that NAI guy, that, that Division II guy, that FCS guy, can he get a staff? Yeah, it doesn't matter what people like you and me think, Chris. It matters what recruits or their peers or players think of those coaches, too. And if all of a sudden they see that those ways are working, wait a minute, this guy told me about this when I'm in this coverage or this when I'm trying to make this run, all of a sudden it clicks and it works. And all of a sudden the doubters become believers, too, which maybe that goes all the way up to the C-suite in athletic offices where you have, like, the athletic directors who are saying, wait a minute, Maybe I should open my mind to this. Maybe I shouldn't be looking for the retiring head coach and wants one more shot. Maybe I shouldn't be looking at the guy who's a G5, you know, Sunbelt Conference whiz. If I want a guy who just knows how to run a program, knows how to delegate, knows what he's looking for in a staff. And by the way, if he's, he's familiar recruiting either in the region or with the, let's just say the handcuffs of certain programs, that's valuable too. And I think that there's a resourcefulness that comes from being a lower level court coach that absolutely pays off when it comes to being efficient and also understanding the luxuries you have and how you have to spend them at the height of college athletics like this. And we're seeing that now. I don't think it's a surprise. It's a very good observation. You mentioned the C-suite. Don't you have like a guest chair at the WVU C-suite? Yes. It's spelled wrong, but like it is my name on the chair. Uh, That's all right. Well, now we have, uh, I guess maybe I was going to say effectively, certainly not efficiently, describe the State of the Union for West Virginia football. Uh, quick schedule upcoming here. Neil Brown, Monday. Coordinators, Monday. Players, Monday. Not Tuesday. So you'll have a lot of good things coming to you sooner than later. And then a Thursday night game. Probably a ticked off Baylor team that's got as much time to prepare as West Virginia traveling from Waco to West Virginia. Um, Baylor has not won in Morgantown. Is that right? That can't be accurate, is it? I'm going to look. I'm looking, right? I'm pulling it up. Whose internet's faster? I'm not checking, so you have this one here. Okay. Again. I win. Yeah, 5-0. and Yeah. So, again, if you fall to 1-5 against Baylor and then you lose at Texas Tech, um, 
we didn't want to use the word hot seat and we started, we might as well end using the word hot seat. Well, I'm just glad you said it, not me. Also, it's two words. I don't know why I said one. Huh. That's I'm why you're the game, Capital J I journalist. Need, I'm on my game, but I need an open week just like everybody else. Until then, I'm Mike Asaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.